1: I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Christian de la Huerta. Christian has been a writer, speaker, retreat, and group facilitator for the past 30 years. Author of the award-winning and critically acclaimed Coming Out Spiritually, he's currently working on a new book, Unleashing the Soul of Power, book one in the Calling All Heroes series. Christian's the creator and teacher of several self-development programs focusing on awareness, advanced spiritual practices and growth, understanding sex and relationships, mechanisms of ego and projection, life purpose, and reclaiming personal spiritual power. An acclaimed speaker at spiritual communities and universities nationwide, Christian also practices as a leadership development consultant, consultant in the corporate world. And you can find more about him at soul pow- soulfulpower.com. Welcome, Christian.
2: Thank you, Cheryl. I'm so uh, happy and grateful to be on, uh, on the show with you.
1: I'm very happy to have you. I've, I've um, been visiting, I was telling you before the show, I've been visiting some, some far back places in my life uh, from reading your book. And maybe the first one to mention is that my father is a minister And, um, so I grew up, uh, people have all kinds of assumptions about what that means. And some of them are true and some of them are not, but in any case, I grew up in a religious family, uh, because of that and left really, really young before I came out. Um, but, but found my own way to, uh, defining my own spirituality, but, um, very well aware through him and through my mother of the kinds of trauma that people experience trying to come out in um, the religious world not so much the spiritual world wouldn't you say
2: yes yeah definitely and um you know what's another the another interesting aspect of that is that i've a lot of lgbt friends of mine or gay lesbian friends have reported having a more difficult time coming out as spiritual beings to their LGBT community than coming out as gay or lesbian or bi or trans to their straight community because there's so much stigma and so much woundedness in in the LGBT community where it comes to spirituality because, as you mentioned too, we, we confuse it with religion and no wonder you know, given the way that we have been treated throughout history and continue to be treated by many denominations. And, you know, the, the, the irony of that, the tragedy of that, is, as I write about in coming out spiritually, is that before the patriarchal times and before the patriarchal cultures and religions, people that we today refer to as LGBT were not only spiritually inclined, but were actually honored and respected for the role of the spiritual service and leadership that we played in cultures all over the world.
1: And, and it was interesting so, to me reading, I knew some of that, um, definitely, some, some uh, you illuminated me about, but uh, what struck me about it is that we have throughout, we could say then throughout history, we've been categorically uh, separate. Right, we're in a different category. Whether honored or uh, defamed, yeah, <laughs> you know there is something particular about being uh, gender or sexuality non-conforming. Uh, it's just a matter of whether it's seen as positive or negative, perhaps.
2: Yeah. Yep, yep. And, and there's, yeah, it's the, so the, sh- the shadow side of that is how painful it is. You know, how many people grew up thinking like there was something wrong with us or that we were different and feeling like we didn't fit in. And no wonder the rate of suicide is still among LGBT youth is still higher, you know, like three times as high as their straight counterparts. So Absolutely. that's the painful, you know, feeling different, feeling like there's something wrong with me, the gift of it. Is that we grow up by definition outside of the rules. So we're, we're less limited by the confines of conditioning and societal, the way, you know, the way that we do society does things because the way that it's always been done and not questioned. Um, why we do the things that we do as a society and why we believe the, the things that we do, the gift of being, you know, f- that I've, that I experience is like, all right, if I'm out of the, if I'm outside of the rules, if I'm an outsider, then I get to make up the rules. How do I want to live? <laughs> I
1: get to figure you know, out who
2: I am. Which, exactly. It,
1: that's, that's a really yeah. interesting point because, uh, when, uh, You know, I thought a lot about whether I wanted marriage personally. I always thought it should be a right. but And I came to the conclusion I did, but that involved some very deep thinking about what it was to me, what it was that I was wanting, right? And so then when uh, marriage became legal, I was, of course, happy. You know, it's a civil right. We deserve to have it. And the very next thought was, I hope we don't lose our creativity and our having to define it for ourselves just because it's legal. I hope we don't join the people who get, get married because they think they should or, you know. Um, and it was a very odd thought to have, but it's kind of along the lines of what you're saying. There's something very creative and and growthful in having to define who you are and why you want certain things, why you want to do certain things, why you don't.
2: Yes, and and that's one of the ways in which we serve society at last, just by virtue of some of us, because you know, you and I know that it it wasn't a unanimous thing, like a lot of people like you and, and I really questioned, like, do I want to be part of this institution? Uh, mm-hmm. But just by virtue of a certain percentage of, of LGBT people wanting to be included in the legal rights, which, of course, that wasn't questioned, that we were entitled to that, uh, to equal rights as, as much as anybody else. But in terms of the institution, we like I didn't know, and I read about this stuff, I didn't even know until this whole conversation came up that marriage for romantic purposes wasn't even around till the late 1800s. <laughs> yes. So You know that... That before that it was all about you know alliances between families or inheritance or you know whatever the, the purpose of it was political alliances. So by virtue of just some of us being, being wanting to be part of that, we're, we're forced everybody to look and say, like, "Wait a minute, what is marriage about?" And what is it just to establish you know like the reason that you and I question that I'm, I'm assuming for you too is like, do I want a part of this patriarchal institution that was?
1: Absolutely about. Absolutely, and of then man
2: over woman and property rights and this and that.
1: <laughs> right, uh, you know, and uh, over. I mean, many complex thoughts about that. Where I came out on it was, well, I want to live in a in a world where taking care of each other is sanctioned by the government. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And the, and where the government supports that, of course, that's come. Come more important to me. I just took my wa- half of my wife's social security, for instance, because as her wife, yeah. I can take that and wait to take mine till I'm seventy. Just a minor thing, yeah. but it's it's economically major. Uh, when we adopted well, yeah, our daughter, it cost not- us so much more than it would have other- if we were married. Yes. You know all these yeah, and kinds not. of.
2: It- yeah it's, I mean, it seems minor, but it's not. There are 1100 rights that we that we did not have access
3: to.
1: Absolutely. And I don't want to you know, uh, obviously our conversation is much broader than gay marriage, but I think it's a good example of kind of the ways we have to examine things if we're outside of them. Um, yeah, yeah you know mm-hmm. that that really um, lead lead to something. I'm, I'm also thinking about, yeah. I've mentioned it on the show before, uh, I'm part of a, of a, um, a choir called, called Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir. And a couple of years ago, we went uh, touring with the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, and we went to the South. And what sticks with me from that time is the incredibly high level of religious trauma, not spiritual trauma, but religious trauma that many of the, uh, the men in that course, much beyond my own experiences, you know, for instance, I talked with one guy who was the music director at his church and his mom during the service discovered on his phone that he was gay. And when the service ended, she said, uh, you need to leave here right now. You don't live with us anymore. You are not our son anymore. And he had nothing. He had to just walk away. So that level of wow. trauma is, and that's just one example, you know. Um, so there's that, and then there's what we make of it, you know, and and where Correct. we go with that, um, because he's an out gay man. He just got married, actually. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, he had mm-hmm. to claim himself. Um, so yeah. I, I guess yeah. it goes both ways, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, and I love how you frame that because I I mean that relates so much to the theme of your of your show is like what like life is going to continue throwing curveballs at us, you know, gay or straight. That's one thing that we can count on is that life life is going to continue throwing Things that we were not expecting that we were not ready for and 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 but what are we going to do about it right so that we don't have any choice about how we respond to whatever? Life throws this way, how we show up in response to that, that we always have a choice about.
1: And yes, I think and that's,
2: I, that's what you're referring to. That, that's that, what
1: I'm referring is to. is hope-inspiring. What are we going to make of what yeah. Of what we've been given? Um, I'm thinking of when my, my wife died, and we had a huge community that was supporting us. She was sick for a very long time and then she died and not long after she died my mother who's grown up in church communities all her life they always belonged to a church obviously they you know were they were always in the choir they went to the wednesday night thing you know the whole works and she said mm. i've never i've never been exposed to a community as loving as yours mm. and i don't that's, think that's
2: beautiful
1: that's, i don't think that's accidental you know we've had to draw together haven't we those of us that are disenfranchised yeah. we have to draw together in some way that is particular
2: yeah 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 and and, and it's that you know the family of choice thing you know mm-hmm. we're we're it's what we we're talking about earlier too that just because we have been outside of the rules and outside of mainstream society we have like we have choice about everything. I mean, everybody does. But bec- when you grow up as as an outsider, you really get that. Like you get to make up the rules. You get to, um, to like define what we believe in. And it's a, it's not an easy process. It's, in many ways, it's a lot easier just to accept the way that things have been and, and not question the, the beliefs that are passed down from generation to generation. So. It's a tough process, and, and many of us like I had to go through that at a very young age, like all right, if I'm not gonna go about these beliefs that are that in this religion that I was raised in, what do I believe in, and how do I navigate what's right and what's wrong? If I'm not going to go by some old text you know that was written two thousand years ago and that was mm-hmm. has been translated and mistranslated and retranslated and stuff taken out and stuff put in and written at a time where women were not even. Humor whether we're property. It's like, am I going to base my choices, my moral choices about that? It's like I'm not. But if not, how do I determine what's right and what's wrong for myself?
1: And how do you then? Uh, how do you then take that into the world? You know, you talked about some uh, really significant experiences in the book of of taking taking your vulnerable self into the world and the, the kind of injury that can happen when we're honestly ourselves and people don't like it. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking of the, the, um, uh, religious um, organization that was trying to bring all religions together. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. It's, it's not surprising. We would get that kind of, pushback, but it's, 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 uh, painful. It's really painful. Uh, I know when, I know when I joined Mm -hmm. my choir, uh, women were not allowed. We have uniforms for our performances, uh, two sets robes, which everyone wears the same. And then these fancy things, dresses and, and, um, sparkly tops and tuxedos for at that time for the men, and mm-hmm. um, so several women I knew left the choir just because they were so uncomfortable wearing a dress. It ruined the mm. choir for them. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, dikes basically. And uh, so over the years, I've just talked behind the scenes to people about that. I know this isn't my tradition. I'm, I'm visiting, but it's painful to me that this has happened and then finally some someone came along who tipped it and now it's not that's not a rule anymore but we have to hang in for a while right <laughs> uh, those yeah, kinds of and by changes.
2: the way i saw the i saw the documentary so i may have seen you in, in the documentary okay, oh
1: um, oh, oh you so. sure you you probably did whether you, <laughs> you knew it or not <laughs> i have little cameos at few yeah, spots yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah. you know there's uh, I I know you just for uh, the sake of the of the audience uh, you kept going back you kept speaking about the need to include us in this larger vision of everyone being included us being LGBTQ people and uh, it must have been hard to keep going back and getting those kinds of negative responses. Along with the positive, I don't want to make it all negative, but along with the positive, yeah, no, there
2: were some. There were, and for the for the sake of the audience, this is an organization, the United Religions Initiative. That was sort of like trying to set up a like a United Nation, Nations for the religions. So it was a really beautiful, honorable, and they had representations from all the different religions in the world, including indigenous paths. So it was a beautiful, and I and I still, you know, I have no resentment. I have only positive. Feelings about the organization and the and the members, and um, I feel blessed that I had that opportunity to to present. But it became clear to me when at the first conference that I had to speak because there was all this conversation and there was no acknowledgement of LGBT people at all. So I kind of hijacked the mic and and read a statement on behalf of our inclusion and. Yes, it got some really positive response, and it it got some definitely powerful and, and negative feedback so um I went back the following year and I felt again obligated because there had been no progress, there'd been zero progress mm. on that issue, a lot of progress on other issues um, and after the second time, I felt, you know what i've, I've done, I came here to to do my job, and I did it, and I don't feel like I feel like for me to continue going back would be counterproductive, and I, don't, I didn't want to interfere with the regular work that they were doing, which, you know, just to get people from different religions to, to talk at, at the table, like, and that's good yes, enough, that's great, but, we need but, to do that. But,
1: yes, but then it was so ironic to me, and then we're, we're going to go to break as soon as I say this, but uh, it was so ironic to me, uh, you're not included in the process, and then we, we get accused of derailing the process. If you're not included mm-hmm. in the process, you kind of have to break in. There's no other way to get in. Yeah, <laughs> You know, I, yeah. I remember that from the days of ACT UP, uh, too, which yeah. people have yeah. all kinds of yeah. opinions yeah. about. But the truth is, it did do something. You know, the people that do that do shift the narrative a little bit. So let's come back and talk more yeah, about sure. that after the break. All right. Listeners, you'll find links to my website, social media, the Good Grief page at Voice America, and you can find Christian de la Huerta at soulfulpower.com. Be back soon.
3: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and wellness channel be sure to like the voice
4: america health and wellness channel on facebook you'll find great health tips from the experts find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team search voice america health or click the like button under the player today
3: your life
0: your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
1: Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Christian de la uh, about his spiritual journey, about his book coming out spiritually, and uh, during the break, Christian, you know, you were saying you were glad that I found a way to express my spiritual self, and uh, you know, I guess we could say this is a this in, this is an, this show itself is an outgrowth of my spiritual journey, because uh, I changed so much in that time that my wife was sick, that almost a decade. Uh, and one aspect in which I changed was, was uh, having kind of a deep uh, spiritual experience with her uh, that has really informed my life since then. So it's good to make that connection. What was
2: that experience like, that spiritual? W-
1: w- what was that? Ag- would? Did, were you asking what that was like? Yeah, I'm sorry, you cut out for just yeah, a yeah. second. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. you know you know how these moments in our lives that are deeply painful uh, kind of make you desperate to find some answers? So, yeah. here, here I was in love with someone who had uh, an incurable disease who was supposed to die fast. And, uh, like, they gave her six months to a year. Uh, Obviously that was not the case in the end, but uh, so she had already connected with Stephen and Andrea Levine uh, Mm -hmm. healing into life and death. You know, they, they wrote a lot about um, death and dying in spiritual practice and we started going together to their workshops. So I think that was one aspect Mm -hmm. that the other is to me, uh, it became clear that we were something beyond this experience we we're having at the moment. In order to find peace, we had to go deeper. Yeah. Uh, in order to have a life, we had to go deeper, if that makes sense. There, there wasn't yeah. – if we just dealt with, um, you know, she's sick, oh, my God – i mean we would have been anxious for a decade and in fact by the end of that decade i had found a kind of calm i'd never had before mm. uh, yeah
2: that's beautiful you, you know and, and you have awesome.
1: gotta go you gotta go somewhere that's available if we choose to go i don't i don't really like the expression what doesn't kill you makes you stronger because i think it's missing mm-hmm. a piece the piece is what doesn't kill you makes you stronger if you let it change you.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Something like that. Yeah. Does that yeah. resonate with you?
2: Yeah, no, uh, Completely. You know, completely. So much of my retreat work and, and with breath work for sure, you know, I talk a lot about that because as a society, we're, we're so conditioned to run away from the emotions all of them, whether it's anger or grief or whatever. And and the thing about the emotions is that what used to be spiritual teaching, that everything is energy, now we know from physics, from quantum physics, that it's true, everything is energy, including the body, including the emotions. And we know energy can't be destroyed. So just because we stuff the emotions, because we don't want to go there and feel that stuff that's not fun to feel, it doesn't go away. Like it stays in the body and then it gets somaticized and, and after years of doing that, we walk around with layers upon layers upon layers of emotional crap, which we then project on each other as we're trying to have a relationship in the present moment. So it's all getting filtered you know, through our, our unhealed past trauma and our lifetime of accumulated suppressed emotions. Mm-hmm. How any relationships work boggles my mind because we haven't been taught about how to hold them, how to approach them. How to contextualize them, and we certainly haven't been taught about how to clear this accumulation of emotional crap. So, so there's in spiritual circles there's so much of this, you know, what I call spirituality light. You know, like everything is love and light, and (laughs) in an ultimate sense, it is. But if if we are not willing to dive, you know, to delve into the depth of our emotions and the depth of our sorrow and to give a way to express, to express our anger, it's like that stuff is gonna get in the way of our relationships or, and it's gonna reveal itself through physical symptoms, cancer, heart attacks, ulcers. So we've got to find a way to feel those emotions, to not run away from them, not try to medicate them or numb them out, and to find a way to express them that's that's authentic and that's responsible. And that's courageous and compassionate.
1: That really resonates with me. I'm thinking of clients I've had over the years who have very strong and longstanding spiritual practices. But they come to therapy really uh, undone because in a way, you know, anything that's great can also be used as a defense. (laughs) So yeah. it's it's possible to use spiritual practice to avoid something instead of to walk through it. I'm sure you've known yes, people yes. like that. Spiritual, if you do that if you bypass. do that long enough, if you bypass long enough, it's gonna clobber you. Uh
2: it is gonna clobber you. Uh,
1: so I think that's what you're talking about in a way that uh we have to be yeah, yeah, and that's exactly embodied. What,
2: that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I wrote a piece a few years ago called "You You Can't Namaste the Shadow Away."
1: Oh, it's, that's perfect. <laughs> it's not
2: going to go away.
1: And so, how we've did got, you personally us. come to that? Because obviously, you you were drawn to, um, you know, I don't know when you became drawn to a more spiritual frame on the things that were going on in your life and. Um, but how did you come to realize? Oh, I got to figure out how to be with the feelings. How did that come was, about? Yeah, for
2: and you? it's interesting because, yeah, it's very interesting because I come out of the psychotherapy tradition. My dad was a psychiatrist. My degrees in psychology. I was I was going for a Ph.D. in psychology, but it was breathwork that did it for me. Um, when I discovered breathwork thirty years ago, I jumped tracks. I never went for the Ph.D. because it worked so fast and heal so profoundly, and it, and it accesses that trauma and those emotions that have been somaticized and that no longer live at the thought, you know, at the, at the mind level, because now they live in the body. And my father was a great example, of that he was a brilliant psychiatrist, I know, because I've, I've gotten that feedback, but in his own personal life, he was clueless about his own emotions, clueless. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and uh,
1: that's so, a absolutely. tragedy, isn't it? Because I have to think he was it's drawn to that profession because he needed something, right? Um, well, I, like a, he- a, a healer, heal yourself thing. And but then it didn't work. Exactly. He just did it for other people. That's so. That's so tragic.
2: It's tragic. I found that tragic too. Like he helped so many people, but he didn't have the tools that he needed to access mm-hmm. his own emotions and and history and and that's what breathwork is for me like as I was on that same track I was I was you know I was I was kind of clueless about my own emotions myself um, and so once I discovered breathwork and I started studying with this teacher that um, I also learned um, invaluable teachings from in terms of how the mind works the ego mind and how we how it keeps us in prison how it sabotages us and how we get free from it but in the beginning, when I was doing, working with her, her name was uh, Maya, Diane, and like we were d- doing work with emotions. Like, I couldn't even tell you what I was feeling. I didn't know. <laughs> so in the beginning, I would... Big I mystery. Would set a, a, yeah. And I would actually set a timer, like, you know, like on the hour and the hour would go off and then I had a, like a list of emotions in front of me and the, the thing would go off and I go, like, what am I feeling? Am I feeling that? Uh-uh. Am I feeling that? Uh-uh. And that's how I started to, to increase my, my EQ, my, my emotional intelligence quotient.
1: So I guess, uh, I could say if I look at my own life, because obviously I'm a psychotherapist, but I pay a lot of attention to the breath just to say, (laughs) um, -hmm. uh, but, uh, I I look at the order I took of things like my early encounters with psychotherapy versus later work that was more spiritually driven and, you know, and could I have done it in a different order? Theoretically, Mm -hmm. but I feel there's some sense of order, like I didn't have a full self. I needed to have that first for myself. You know, I I needed to do all that uh mucking around in my mind and you know thinking about things and um trying to trying to get more assertive and you know all that kind of stuff before the transcendence worked for me and i wonder if that's true of other people you know when it, well, yeah, it's I hard to that's... imagine my life in another order that's one thing but there is some kind of wisdom yeah, in the yeah. order too <laughs> you know
2: yeah yeah yeah, in a, in a way, I mean, like what I hear when when you're saying that, where my mind, my where my mind goes is like you you gotta have a strong ego construct, a strong sense of self before you can transcend it.
1: That's I heard that a long time ago from uh, uh, one of the therapists I respect most in the world, actually, a uh, local therapist around here who also has a very strong spiritual practice, and she was saying, you know. The, uh most Eastern philosophies, which she was inclined towards, don't talk about uh, the development of the self like psychology does because it's assumed. You have to have one mm. to then go beyond it. And what's yeah. happened in our culture is uh, there's not a lot of support for developing it in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would for sure, and and I mean, and, and I want to make sure that I come across as I'm not knocking psychotherapy. Oh no, no
1: I didn't get that <laughs> in the right
2: hands. Like, with all due respect, psychotherapy in the right hands and with the right therapist uh, and connected, and by that, by that I mean spiritually connected and with clear goals, it can be profoundly healing and transformational. And you and I both know that you can sit on somebody's couch for twenty years. 30 years and rehashing the same old crap and nothing
1: happens. <laughs> this is because true. This, except that, yeah, except because that that the person feels that, more heard than they did, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it doesn't show that's in, in a person's that, life. That's a good
3: point. That's a valid point.
1: Yeah. But I know what you're talking about. Are we, mm-hmm. are we actually uh, moving forward in our own lives to be all we can be?
2: Yes, exactly, and 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 so that's the reason that for me that I weave in breath work to all you know into all my retreats, and that I have some great re- relationships with therapists and coaches who send people to me for breathing, because it's a great adjunct to the therapeutic process. Like it's great to have somebody you know, to kind of reframe things and help you process insights and. Maybe even recovered memories that may come up in the in the middle of a breathwork session. So it's it's a brilliant combination. Like if one is in a therapeutic process, and then also have an access to to a, a healing practice like breathwork, it's really going to expedite the, the healing process, and everybody's going to be happy.
1: So because I know maybe um, I know a fair amount about breathwork, so that to me mm-hmm. is a category. Uh, it's not just one thing. So, could you describe what, how your practice of breath work goes? How you work with the breath?
2: Yes, and and it is a broad practice. You know, like some people include pranayama from from yoga class all the different breathing practices that, that come from the east, and 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 that's great. Breath work to me, it's a more specific category, which. There's different modalities, there's different types of it, there's, you know, holotropic and clarity and transformational breathing and shamanic breathwork. It tends to be a deeper and longer experience than the the breathing pranayama practices that we do in yoga class, which, you know, can be just a few minutes long. A breathwork session, you know, it's at least going to be an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half. Some of the modalities go longer. Um, and it's, it's a way of breathing, like you breathe in a circular, connected way for about an hour, an hour and a half, and amazing stuff happens. And not only does it heal in every sense of the word, psychologically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and even physically. And I know that sounds too good to be true, that just from breathing, but it works. You know, I've, I've been doing it for 30 years. I cannot, I can't argue with the results. And, and I work with, you know, went to China four times last year. It's, you know, that is kind of on hold now because of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But I'm working with really high level corporate leaders, tech leaders. I'm talking about millionaires and billionaires, like leadership role. And, and they're lying on the floor and breathing because it is so effective and it works so fast. Um, and, and it, gets quick results.
1: You know, it's powerful to me. I'm remembering, um, uh, something that Stephen Levine used to say there, there was a lot of breath work involved in what he did. And there was a lot of laying on the floor, breathing mm. <laughs> involved. He didn't yeah, call no, it breath they, work, I know, I know but, they, it, yeah. <laughs> but, um, what he said is, um, if you, if you have a soft belly, which of course is directly related to breath, uh, having a mm. soft belly, you can't lie. You can't lie and have a soft mm. belly. And so uh, somehow that comes to mind when you're talking about uh, people who have power over their other people's lives, right? Uh, who can, yes. either, can either bring a humanness and an integrity into that or bring uh, harm into that. Yes. And what a difference mm-hmm. it would make if the people in power... Had a connection to their truer self. What a difference that would make in the world!
2: Oh
1: my God! I mean, that's oh that's and... that's pretty pretty intense right now. But I think in general, at any t- time, that would be true. And I want to hear your thoughts on that after we get back from our second break. Just this idea okay. that okay. that you know, there's sort of universal healing maybe in opening up to ourselves in that way that you're talking about opening. Uh, mm, having mm. Uh, having an ability to be with what comes up in our own breath. Let's come back to Beautiful. that in a few minutes. Uh, listeners, you can find us both during the break. I'm my website is weatheringgrief.com or you can get to anything about me on the good grief host page and to find Christian De la Huerta go to soulfulpower.com. Back after the break.
4: a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Just talking about uh, the power of breath, you were talking about these corporate leaders or bosses, I guess we could say, people in charge who have agreed to open up to what you're teaching them about breath. And I was saying, oh my gosh, what a profound difference it could make if, if people in power had access to their... Uh, inner being in that way. Uh, there's some way that that when you're really in contact with that in, your, in yourself, it's hard to harm it in another person, I guess I would say. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, in the break, we were both talking about hesitating from, you know, <laughs> entering political territory. However, I don't think that we necessarily have to, to say there, there's a lot of disconnection uh, for people emotionally in the world currently. And some of us are in pain all the time and, and others are not feeling anything, you know, are numb. Um, I, I think that's fair to say, would you think?
2: Oh my God, for sure, for sure. And everybody And everybody's in pain and everybody is in fear. Like for different reasons, you know, different the, the times that we live in are eliciting fear in different groups for different reasons. But one commonality is like everybody's in fear, mm. and mm. and part of the reason that that we witness such egregious abuses of power every day. I mean, not only in the political arena, which is non-deniable. I mean, it's undeniable, and that this country is facing. Um, the challenge, like a really scary, dramatic challenge to the rule of law and the very principles on which this country is based, and we don't have to go there beyond that. But at the personal level, we're, we're always experiencing abuses of power, whether it's from our bosses or, or, or family members or spouses. And so no wonder we have this ambivalent push-pull relationship to power. We want it and we long for it, but we're terrified of it. And we've been so conditioned to think that we're going to abuse it and that we're going to bring harm. So, but then, what we end up doing is is stuffing it. And like we already established, like nothing, like energy can't be destroyed. So all that conflict then gets projected, and and mm. so like we watch the news and we're seeing people's traumas and unhealed traumas being worked out on each other on the national and international scene. Um. And we see that in the workplace, you know, all these people's unhealed childhoods and relationship with their parents and abuses of power they have experienced that they're reacting to and, um, living it out, recreating it in some cases in the workplace. And and what what you're saying, it's so true. Like we've got there's, that's why spiritual bypassing is just, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work and we've got to be willing to have the courage to dive inside and to feel stuff whether it's in therapy or in breath work or wherever one is guided to do it to, to feel stuff and to work through all that shadow stuff so that it's no longer running us because it's running us subconsciously.
1: So I have the feeling it's important for us to talk about the word power a little bit. Uh, okay. Because uh, I think I understand what you're saying that our own internal power as in who we're here to be and as in being our full selves and as in the Marian Williamson quote, you know, about not, uh, yeah. not hiding our light, you know, being fully uh, present is not the way power is used out there in the, in the broader um, social world. Uh, it's used as people in charge, people telling other people what to mm-hmm. do, you know, and um, making that leap that there's a positive way of looking at power. I would like you to talk a little more about that. I think I understand what you're saying, yeah, but can you illuminate it a little more?
2: Yes, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And that's the book that, that I'm working on that should be out in June, um, Unleashing the Soul of Power. Um which I think it's so relevant to the times that we live in. Like, we've got to get this before we blow, blow each other up in the name of God. Like, what a messed mm. up thing. Mm. Um, you know, this, this world that we live in, this theological pissing contest where my God is better than yours um, and, and bigger than yours, and, and even in interpersonal relationships. Like, this applies this, this how we think of power colors like our relationships, Professional and intimate and romantic ones, because we we end up stuffing our power, you know, because we're so conditioned to to avoid conflict. We hate confrontation, so we end up saying, "How many times have we said yes and put on a fake smile?" Where inside we were like outraged by the unfairness of something, and so, mm-hmm. but we we are terrified of saying what's really inside of us, so we stuff it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then that stuff has to come out. So it starts coming out inappropriately, you know, through sarc- sarcasm and barred remarks and passive aggressiveness and all the unhealthy expressions of power or
1: or, or, wield, are or wielding power, trying to control other people. Uh, I see it come out that exactly.
2: way. I, exactly. I, I'm, exactly. I'm thinking
1: of someone I just saw this morning who um, we, we strategized a way for her to talk to her boss uh, about uh, you know she she deserved a promotion, and she was just too terrified to to say anything out loud. So we strategized what she might say. All this well, she actually went and did it. That was usually takes people longer, right? But she had mm-hmm. she told me the results, which were a hundred percent positive. But she wasn't feeling the results because she was so afraid of advocating for herself. <laughs> you know, she had actually spoken very well. Her boss had said, I'll work on a promotion for you. You know, everything had gone well. But she was so afraid of her own power that she, she couldn't register it without some work. Yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that something? Yeah.
2: It's tragic, you know, and, and especially, like, there's a whole other layer that applies to this when it comes to women. Because Indeed. of, you know, the, the misogyny <laughs> and the oppression of women that has been running this world for the last several thousand years. And, and because of all the societal conditioning and roles that we have taken on. Um, and, and, you know, it's like, that's why I do work on women's empowerment, because I, I feel that... The single most important thing that needs to happen in the world is the empowerment of women. Because to that we can connect all the other issues that we face as a species. When when women are in 50% of power, at least, we'll have a very different relationship to all of it. To war, to poverty, to hunger, to, how, to, to wealth distribution, to, to how we treat the environment, to all of it.
1: Well, but then we can see what that takes from an individual woman Uh, trying to live out her own power. Uh, You've got to be very Mm -hmm. resilient, don't you? Because you're going to be accused (laughs) (laughs) of being all the things that women are taught not to be. Angry, um, you know, unfeminine, you know, all kinds of things. That is is, uh, something good about um, lesbianism that I think I early got to walk away from some of that, you know, because... I wasn't going to fit anyway, but um, All right. isn't it true yeah. if we look at the women in uh, in powerful positions in politics, they get so much crap back uh, oh
3: that God. they have to oh stand God. up
1: to, and how they do that without oh reacting, it's pretty hard, I imagine. I'm- yeah,
2: and some of the same qualities that if a guy exhibits them, it's like, oh my God, what a great, strong, kick-ass leader. And a woman was like, what a bitch! Indeed, exact same qualities.
1: Yes. Well, we could spend another couple hours on that, probably. But um, suffice and I it hope to that's say, really
2: good for me to use those words.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, suffice it to say. That that's another case in which, just like the way you talked about in your book, um, we have to find our our kind of deeper, truer self as LGBTQ people. The same could be said of of women, that knowing who we are and and knowing what's true about us and not true about us and uh, uh, being able to be that person in the world, no matter what anyone says, uh, Mm -hmm. is the only way out of that dilemma. I, I recently heard uh, Oprah Winfrey, big name, but mm. uh, she was saying uh, something about she had been saying to um, Stedman, her her partner, something about being nice, and he and he said, "You're not nice," <laughs> you know. He said, "You're generous, <laughs> you're compassionate, you're loving, but you're not nice," <laughs> you know. And she was shocked, right. but. I think that it's probably true that to be where she is, she couldn't be over nice. You know, she couldn't do things to be nice. She had to do things to be herself. Yeah. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah. Totally. I think nice is, uh, you know, I, I kind of cringe sometimes when I hear that word, like, how you, you know, it's nice. Because it's such a, kind of like, it does. what does that mean anyway? Whereas mm-hmm. when I, st- I think of Oprah, I definitely don't think of, of nice. Yes, she's good, and you can be powerful, and you can be in your center, and you can be compassionate, but that, to me, that doesn't translate as nice. And what you were talking about before is like, yes, it's hard. None of this is easy. It's a lot easier to to, to try to fit in, and it's a lot easier to say, to say yes, when in reality we feel no, and to not rock the boat. So it's it's really nothing short of heroic what we're talking about. And you know, we have that's why I, I called the series Calling All Heroes. Like what does it mean to live heroically in the twenty first century when we don't have the horse hitched outside and the demons display except the ones that are inside <laughs> of us? I think you
1: know, it may involve ge- have- <laughs> Yeah. I think it can may involve again? getting I think it may involve getting up in the morning and um, doing what you can that day to be yourself. That seems heroic these days, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that is, to me, that's the everyday hero type of heroism that I'm talking about. And then Mm -hmm. on top of that, to do the work of, like, getting in touch with our past wounds, to understand the mechanism of projection, and then to start reeling back those projections so that we're not judging over there what it's also inside of us, to, to understand how the ego mind works, and to say no to that, to, like, bust ourselves on our on our power plays and, and to understand what we're trying to do when we self sabotage or or when we sell out on our power, that's work and it's nothing short of heroic. It's so worth it because what's on the other side of it is freedom. So freedom is the reward Mm. and there's a process, right? There's, there's an investment that we have to make. And, and to me, that's nothing short of heroism.
1: I I can go along with that definition of heroism a thousand percent if such a thing existed. (laughs) So uh, I guess just wrapping up here, we have just a couple of more minutes. Um, Both of us would be examples of being knocked over by some truth about ourselves we had to come to terms with and that has been sort of a jumping off point. yes mm-hmm. So that yeah, goes back to sure. what you said in your book about being uh, spiritual leaders, gay people being spiritual leaders. Um, I think it's a really interesting point of view and I can see the wisdom of it and I hope uh, I hope people will go look look up your book to find out more about that. Thank you so much for yeah, being with me today. I've enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, and thank you for so much for having me on the show and for for having this conversation. It's such a service that you oh, offer just a space where people can can speak about grief.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to do it. That's for sure. Listeners, next mm-hmm. week I'll have Adriana Monique Alvarez. After the stillbirth of her daughter, she became a fierce advocate for mothers who've lost a baby. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief.
3: Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and wellness channel.
0: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android.